Hello and welcome back. I am your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, we are talking about anxiety and motherhood. I have my good friend and colleague joining us to have this conversation, Chrissy Powers. Chrissy is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a mother and a writer. And when Chrissy writes, she shows up with truth and vulnerability, often writing about her own personal experiences and struggles in motherhood. And in today's episode, she did the same thing. She showed up. She showed up in a really honest and vulnerable place of sharing her own personal experiences with anxiety, with trauma, with the impact of social discourses on her anxiety, and how she has found support and healed herself through those experiences. So without further ado, let's jump in to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I am so excited to have my good friend with us today, Chrissy Powers. Hello. Chrissy is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She has a blog and a podcast. Her podcast, Sure Babe, by the way, is one of my all-time favorites <laughs> and is what inspired me to do this in the first place. I'm honored. <laughs> so Chrissy's a writer and she's a creative. She's also a mother. So I always like to let my guests also introduce themselves. So Chrissy, sir, yeah. what would you say if I was to ask you, Chrissy, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> who am I? That is um, <laughs> a lesson I'm learning in life. Um, well, I would say first and foremost, I am a mother and I'm a wife and I'm a friend, um, but I'm also a marriage and family therapist. Um, uh, but I transitioned from seeing... Um, a lot of clients just have seen a handful of clients when I became a mother and I fell into this little thing called blogging. And so I started a blog and I picked up my camera again. Um, my bachelor's is in art and photography. So when I became a mom, I had this, it sounds weird, but I had a little bit more time. I know that moms don't have that much time, but I found like this new inspiration mm. again, or a, a reigniting of inspiration. Um, and so I picked up my camera, a digital camera, and learned how to use it and um, started taking photos of my kids and then other people's kids. And then that also helped me in my blog. And One of the yeah. first projects we ever did with each other, I yes. believe, was doing when you were the photographer. I was the photographer. Yes. yes. So I like, I am a multifaceted, they actually have a term for that now. I think it is called that, like multifaceted. I love that. Um, where you don't just have one job title. And yeah. So I would also call myself a photographer, but um, I'm having another baby, so I'm reorganizing my priorities, and my photography is mostly just of my family and our adventures, which I yeah. put on my blog. And then last year, I started a podcast called Sure Babe, where we talk about career, motherhood, parenthood, um, lifestyle, um, culture, mental health, basically everything. Yeah. Uh, I love it. So today I have you on sort of within this like mini series in the podcast called Brutiful Motherhood, where we talk about the beauty of motherhood, but mm -hmm. also how motherhood can also be brutal sometimes. Yes. And 
So the question I was going to ask you is, as a mother yourself, what has been one of the biggest things that you've been working on this year as a mom? Um, that's a good question. It's been like a process. I feel like something that's kind of mounted up over the years. Um, but something I just started to write about and talk about is my anxiety in motherhood. Mm. Um, I used to think that no one wanted to read about those things or, um, no, everyone just wanted to see the pretty parts of motherhood. And so that's mostly what I portrayed online. Um, and then this year I, really felt like, or I should say last year, 2017 was when I was like, you know, I need to write about this for my own therapy and catharsis. But then I was like reaching other people that have experienced similar things. And I felt like that's the deeper calling in my Mm. life was to help other people Mm. feel less alone in their struggle. So Mm. anxiety for sure has been huge. So... Tell me a little bit about your relationship with anxiety. When when would you say that you and anxiety... When did anxiety first move in? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, I had never had anxiety... Well, I shouldn't say never. Um, I... I struggled with like having panic attacks in college just here and there randomly, but I mm. never could associate them with anything other than stress, just mm. like stress because of yeah. a test or um, finals. And all of a sudden out of the blue, I would just have a panic attack for seemingly no apparent reason. Yeah. Um, and I can, I can even just pinpoint those to like, I think two, two or three times. Mm. Um, so it never really bothered me that mm. much just was something that I had to learn to deal with when it happened. And was this something that you had been exposed to before? Like in, um, you know, for a lot of people, anxiety can be something that runs in the family or that's something that they've had some experience with before maybe their first experience with it. Did you? Yeah. I think my first experience, um, was like performance anxiety, meaning like I had to get up in front of a crowd and speak at my high school graduation. And I think that's the first time I remember actually feeling like panic and, Mm. and it was obviously for a good reason. Right. Right. Um, but then I had always struggled with depression before that. So I never really paid much attention to it because Mm. my focus was always like on how to manage my depression in college and how to do those things. And I had known that it was depression because that had run heavily in my family on my dad's side. And he was very, very open about it with talking to us about how we might experience similar thoughts Mm. and similar feelings. And, and that actually was a beautiful thing because it made me feel like it was okay to have that struggle. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. So depression was something that there was some familiarity there and it was something Mm -hmm. that you, maybe even had a name for, right? Yeah. Like this is what this is what these symptoms and this experience is called. And there's somebody in my life, my father, right, mm-hmm. who I can connect with about it and yeah. have someone to talk to. Okay. Yeah, he used to take me on like dates and breakfast dates and we would talk about how we were feeling and how he was feeling and he normalized it for me. So Oh, that's so yeah. beautiful. I, I know that for for some people right? When you, when you don't have that and you feel like you're an outcast in your own family, but it sounds like for you, the gift that your dad could offer in his ability to be vulnerable and open about his own experiences was a sense of, of like belonging, like, right. Which is, yeah, it bonded us, um, together. Mm -hmm. And my mom never, um, 
shamed us for it either. She totally was familiar with it, even though it was something that she didn't struggle with. Mm. Um, she actually was the one that struggled with anxiety, but more okay. silently. And okay. then it came out later in life. Yeah. Yeah. That, that ran on her side of the family. <laughs> so yeah. anxiety was one of those more like quiet, quiet, mm-hmm. um, members in the family, right? Mm-hmm. Or the a quiet player in the family. And so there maybe had, wasn't, well, tell me if I'm wrong. There wasn't as much talk about it or no. understanding of, of what that looks like or would feel like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was almost like more acceptable too, because it was like, mm. um, you know, anxiety can also look like, well, I'm just getting stuff done yeah. or I'm just busy or I'm just, yeah. And yeah. And that can be so true for postpartum moms. You know, I think there's, there's a lot out there around postpartum depression, thankfully. Right. Because yeah. that is something that, you know, so many moms experience and, but postpartum anxiety is not something that's talked about as much as much mm-hmm. and and it can go back to what you just said it can look like just being really busy or yeah. it can look people can be really high functioning yeah and because anxiety is sort of like driving the like over functioning right. almost you know okay yeah. so um so tell me a little bit more about how your relationship with anxiety sort of progressed after college? So after college, I feel like, um, depression was more of like the player in my life. Mm Um, and so I really didn't feel that much anxiety. Um, but it, it did come about in motherhood for sure. Like I've always tell people like I never had anxiety (laughs) before motherhood. Um, and that's probably True. Yeah. Just other yeah. than test anxiety and, um, maybe anxiety induced by some negative thinking, mm-hmm. but ultimately like a more generalized anxiety, um, definitely came about after having my first child. Yeah. So what were some of the things about becoming a mother that invited anxiety into your life in that way? Yes. Um, well, when I look back, I think of like the story or the timeline as like my oldest, um, when I was 29 weeks, I went to work and I just started, um, bleeding and Mm. it just like shocked me because in my first pregnancy, I had nothing to compare it to. And I just was like, wait, whoa, this is not supposed to happen. So I was, you know, rushed to the ER and I was pretty calm the whole time. I even called my husband and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to be fine. You don't need Mm. to come up. I was, it was in Orange County. He was in San Diego and, um, you know, he on the other end was like freaking out, drove up to the ER. And when I got to the ER, it hit me that I could lose something Mm. so big in my life that I'd never had before. And I still felt like, you know, I'd never had a son before. So I didn't know Mm. what that was like. But then I like felt so strongly that I, I didn't want to lose my baby. And so that's when I was like, just give me a heartbeat. Just let me hear a heartbeat. And Um, so it was like incrementally, like I heard the heartbeat, I calmed down, but then Mm. it's like other thoughts of like, well, then Mm. why is this happening? What's going on? Am I going to go into preacher and labor? All those negative thoughts. Yeah. Because anxiety was triggered. Like that anxiety switch turned on. Right. And the, you know, one of the like purposes of anxiety, right. Cause it is meant, it is supposed to work for us. Yeah. (laughs) It is supposed to be something that can be useful for us and like protecting us and keeping us safe and you know, motivating us and keeping us focused. But when that anxiety switch turned on for you there, it began to like almost 
look for what 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 are all the possible dangers here exactly. and that's sort of where it sounds like it took your mm-hmm. your mind in a bunch of different places oh yeah yeah it was a, it was a huge journey for me because for the next two months I was on you know I was in the hospital and of course the doctors tell you all of the things that could happen and right. prepare you for having a premature child and all the things that that entails and so then you your mind goes there which like you're trying to prepare yourself for like if I do go into labor and I have to give birth to a 29 week old what would that look like Mm. and um and then from there you know it looked good you pass the first hurdle and and you're fine and then and then you get sent home on bed rest and then you're on bed rest and you're laying there on the couch and, and that's just, like yeah. the worst position to be in when yeah. you're when anxiety has moved in because then anxiety's oh, yeah. like, oh, all right, we got some time and space here. Yeah, let's, let's tons of time yeah. to think about. I find that for myself, anxiety seems when anxiety does show up, it's usually the worst. Like once I like I'm going to bed or before I fall yes. asleep, and it's like it's quiet and it's dark and it's almost like that's the anxiety sees it as an opportunity to move in and. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I remember all these things that we're supposed to be worrying about. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I did I had moments of um fear. Um, but mostly like in my mind I told myself if I was laying down I was fine. Okay. So I was like pretty much okay. Uh, I was mainly more depressed, but I had to live on my couch in, mm-hmm. in a condo for two months and look out the window and see like wonder what everybody else was doing and yeah. um but then, you know, occasionally I had a placenta tear, so that's what was causing all this bleeding. So um, anytime I would bleed again, um, it was just, yeah, that, like, panic or that anxiety would come back up of, like, what's going to happen now. Mm. But any, you know, the, every week I celebrated because it was, like, another week under my belt that my yeah. baby was bigger and healthier and stronger. Yeah. Um, and then at 36 weeks... We went back into the hospital because of, you know, more bleeding. And they had already told me, like, we're just going to induce you because you've made it this far. And he's mm. he's big enough. And yeah. and we don't want anything else to happen. So I was induced at 36 weeks and had a healthy baby boy. like, mm. And that was, like, the best ending to that story. So it was definitely a journey. And it was the first time, I say, that I ever felt like I could lose my child. Right. And... When we experience a trauma, right, yeah. such as, and for you, well, well, and I don't want to just sort of say that, use the word trauma, because maybe you wouldn't sort of experience, say it's called a trauma for you, but mm-hmm. um, whatever that experience was of like bleeding and going in the hospital yeah. and having the thought, I could lose my child, would you call that, does it, when you think about it, does it feel like trauma to you or? It's weird because like sometimes I don't recognize traumas until... The, mm. I'm in the same situation, and then I realized that is a trauma because yeah. um, I realized when I was pregnant again for the second time that it was a trauma because I was reliving the fear again of yeah. like something bad happening because I had I that's all I'd ever known was right. having pregnancy with fear oh. associated with it. So yeah. I would say that it was a trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So in. One of the things that shows up when a trauma is experienced or any experience where there's this, there's like big disorienting emotion around it, right? Mm-hmm. Our 
brain, right? So like our amygdala, which is like our fear response and our hippocampus, which is our memory center. Yeah. Like those, those two parts of our brain form all these like neural networks around that experience to protect you. Right. So we don't want this to ever happen again. So we're going to, you know, create all these neural networks to always be looking out for if this is going to happen again. Right. And so what I heard you just say is that this, there was this this sort of thing that got embedded in your brain of, I could lose my child. Yeah. I could lose my son. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like then moving into the second pregnancy, it sort of re-triggered that a little bit for you where it kind of, that part of your brain that was like, Oh, we're pregnant again. Remember the last time Mm -hmm. this happened? And so, and then it sort of feeds into that, that those anxious thoughts and those fear thoughts of I could lose my child. Yeah. And it was like, I had like set a benchmark in my head, like Mm. 29 weeks. I just need to get Mm. past 29 weeks and then I can relax more or, Mm. um, yeah, that 29 week marker was a a big trauma. So what, what did you do through, what did you do through these experiences to, to try to get support and help? You know, you're, I, as an MFT, one of the things, one of the, the beautiful things about being a, a therapist is like, we tend to know where the resources are, but also I know for myself, one of the struggles is it's like harder for me to admit when I have, yeah. when I have a struggle, right? Cause I'm yeah. supposed to be the helper, not the one getting help. So I'm just curious for you. That's a good yeah. question. Cause I didn't get help until mm. years later, um, when yeah. other traumas happened that made it like mm. almost unbearable to like keep going. Um, and in the moment though, if, if you wanted to talk about being on bed rest, like I learned to crochet, I taught myself how to crochet and that helped so yeah. much because I was like doing something with my hands and yeah. I was making something, I was making beanies and, yeah. um, it was very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I journaled, I do remember mm. that I did journal, um, my, my thoughts and what it was like and my fears, um, but when I was pregnant with my second son, I went back to therapy and saw a therapist because mm. I was just like, I don't want to live this way, this the whole pregnancy mm. of being f- afraid that the same thing would happen. And um, so that therapist helped walk me through, you know, like giving myself um, grace and also like not blaming myself for mm. it or blaming my body for it. Mm. So that um, so, yeah, I did get help um, a couple years later. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until other traumas had happened that made it worse, the anxiety part in motherhood. And were those other traumas things that sort of touched into that part of your brain that was that, that fear of, I, I could lose my child or I could lose yes. my son? Yes. It's always, so whether it'd be like on bed rest or whether it would be like, I'm at a park and I can't see my child and I don't know where he is for like a, you know, mm. a a minute or less. Um, a minute's like a long time, (laughs) but, um, it's always goes back to the message in my brain that I'd say, I'm going to lose my child. Mm. Um, so there was a particular incident that that was even more traumatic for me than the birth, um, or being pregnant. Um, and that was when my oldest was just before turning two, I think, um, we were at, a church in Northern California where I grew up actually. So it was like my home church. It was a small church. We were visiting family and, um, 
it was after church and my parents were in a meeting with some other people and we were just kind of playing around and um, Waylon, my oldest, was running around the corner and I was like right behind him, but he ran the corner before me and I turned the corner and he was just gone. And I was like, oh, that's weird, you know, and it, but not too weird because he's so fast. My kids started walking, both of them, at nine months. So they were running by 10 months yeah. and they both were just super fast. And so I was like, oh, okay, hopefully he didn't just get out the door. So I ran to the door and I didn't see him. I ran to like one parking lot and I couldn't find him. And then I ran to the other parking lot and he wasn't Ugh. there. And so I knew there were like some kids out in the front by the street, but I, for some reason, didn't want to go out there because I felt like, like if he was like hit by a car or something, I didn't want to see it. Like I had told myself that. Oh, yeah. But so your mind was already So my mind was already, yeah, which actually was interesting because I didn't, really think about why why would I think that I guess I froze in that moment so I got my mom and dad out of the meeting and they actually stopped the meeting and everybody started looking for him because it was already like a few minutes like maybe like five minutes now where I'm like okay this is like way too long to not know where he is yeah and so everybody stopped what they were doing and started to look for him and so one mom went out and asked the boys that were out front if they had seen this little boy and mind you, we were visiting. So, um, you know, they didn't really know who he was, but they, she gave him a description of this little boy. And some boy said, well, we saw a man, um, put him in his car and take him. Oh, and so, (laughs) yeah, I had to like take a breath there. So she, so I was like in the front of the church or front entrance and there was already a mom holding me and I knew known this mom because I was already panicking and crying. And then this other mom with that news came running back and she was hysterical. And she said that when I heard that, like the lights turned off, oh, yeah. like total tunnel vision happened. Like oh, yeah. I collapsed. Um, I was on the ground. I was wailing like I had never wailed before, like, because like I thought he was kidnapped. And so we called 911 and like the police were alerted. So I knew that they were on their way. And in those moments I was like, I had literally lived like a lifetime of, okay, how am I going to tell my husband like that I lost my, our child and, and what does that look like? We're going to be at the police department and we're going to have to look for him. And you know, like I like had already gone there. Yeah. And so in like five minutes, uh, and I saw, I can remember the looks on my parents' faces too, like of horror as well. And so, um, but yeah, I had turned into a person that I had never known like existed in me. Mm-hmm. And, and then I remember, uh, my mom, some, some other like younger girl had seen these little feet behind a door. Oh my gosh. And she, my mom said, she's like, Chrissy, we need you to get up. You need to go. We found him. And, oh my gosh, like, he was hiding behind this door that, um, that first corner I had turned was a copy room that I didn't know about. And he went into the copy room and shut the door and it locked behind him. And so he was in that copy room the whole time. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, that was, I I crawled, I couldn't even get up. I just crawled to the room (laughs) and I just held him and cried and then he started crying and then... 
I went home that day with my parents and I I couldn't even eat. I just had a beer because I was like, <laughs> I need to calm down. Well, no, when when oh my god, yeah. when your anxiety, when your stress response is oh. turned on, and that yeah, that ramped up, right? Like, I mean, literally, when stress response is turned on, it literally turns our di- our digestive system off because yeah. it's like we don't need to worry about eating right now. We just need to worry about survival. Yeah. And that was a moment I can't. Yeah. I, as a mom myself, I just can't even imagine. Yeah. In that moment, I like, so after, like, I even remember the police coming and we had just found him and they, they were so great. They had said, wow, we had every police department in the Bay Area till San Francisco notified and the helicopter was already being released to go look out, out wow. for him. And, um, and I was just like, wow, I was that close to being a mom that was probably never going to get her child back. And, um, and I kept just like living through that. But like, then after I got him back, it was like, oh, okay. Um, you got him back. So mm. like, I, I felt like so the lucky so, one. So you're supposed to be okay. Like, so I was supposed to be supposed okay. supposed to be okay, quote unquote yeah. now, because you got him back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It was but, just a horrible story or a bad case of mistaken right. identity. And, um, Ugh. but what was yeah. it? But what was the real lived experience for you? So then after that, even years after, up until last year, it just created like so much panic in me. Um, if I, it, like I said, if I was at a park and I couldn't see him in like one of those tube, um, uh, tube slides or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. then I would freak out. Yeah. And I literally did that like a year ago at like the, this place called Playworks was just like this indoor playground and I couldn't find him and he wasn't answering me. And it was like, um, you know, like they're all closed in and everything's supposed to be safe. But in my mind, nothing's safe because yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I could lose my child. And, no, your, your yeah. brain is on high alert. Yeah. So I'm literally screaming his name mm. at my panic, you know, it's yeah. just going crazy. And, um, so it was just any incident like that, um, mm. would trigger it in me where I couldn't find him. Um, or maybe he's just even out with my husband or, you know, now that I have two kids, it's both of them. Um, if I don't have control of the situation, mm. if I'm not the one with them, then it's like, how do I trust that they're okay? Yeah. How, cause I could lose them. Anxiety loves control right? yeah. because, and that's, so one of the things that comes with anxiety, like those, the worrying, right? Mm-hmm. Worrying gives us that fault, gives us a sense of control, even though, yeah. even though it's not really, right. it, it's yeah. not controlling anything, yeah. it's, but it gives us a sense of control, right? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. Because like if my husband, I sometimes remind myself, well, your husband's a better driver than you. Like, why are you worried when he's with them? But it's because I don't yeah, have control and I'm not. Control. Yeah. So it sounds like really early on, I mean, from, from that first pregnancy, there was sort of this like underlying, like, you know, what, what they'd call in the therapy world, like schema, or you can mm-hmm. say like underlying core belief that I could lose my child Yes. or I will lose my child. Yeah. And anytime, and then, and then you had this, you had this big trauma where you really yeah. thought that you lost your child, exactly. which just reinforced, right? That mm-hmm. underlying core belief or underlying core fear. Yeah. And so then, well, a couple of things. So first I'm curious to hear how, like what has been the journey like since then, right? Of yeah. sort of coming up against this, like, you know, 
kind of you know underlying core and maybe rigid fear right Mm -hmm. because because if if it because of these like lived experiences your brain is like oh hell no like we're not gonna let we're not gonna let you lose this child right and so it becomes really like this rigid this like rigid fear and belief that it's that it is possible yeah which then sort of like reinforces the anxiety and the worrying and Mm -hmm. the and the need for control um so I'm curious sort of what's been the journey sort of since then. Um, yeah. And let's start there. I have other questions, but let's okay. start there. So um, since then, I would be honest and say that anxiety has not gone away completely, mm. but um, it has gotten better. I've learned to live with it. Mm. Um, but I hit, like I hit, I would say either rock bottom or like a turning point where I was like, I can't live this way. Um, last summer when we were in, um, Santa Cruz, we visiting family again and situation that I couldn't control where my toddler, um, then now my new toddler, um, Zeke was, um, just, uh, walking back in the back, um, backyard and my aunt was watching him and then turned her back for a second and then we were like oh where is he mm. and the gate was open and I'm like okay I run out to the driveway into the and your, street your brain and is like here we go again yep, let's exactly <laughs> yeah. we know we know this scenario here oh, we go again yeah. and literally feels like you know okay I've I'm gonna lose my child like that was the message yeah. I kept playing yeah. was like it's just a matter of time um and he was just hiding in a shed and for you know a minute it wasn't most people would kind of calmly look but for me it was immediate panic and then my mom has walked this journey with me and she just Mm. comes out to the street and holds me and I just collapse again crying because I don't want to be this person and I don't want to give this fear to my children Mm. and and even at home it would be the same way I would yell um you know to my oldest son where's Zeke you know like if we Mm. couldn't find him anywhere yeah so there's this other piece here of as a mother you're you have your own sort of like battle that's going on Mm -hmm. internally with anxiety but then there's also this piece of I'm a mom and I want to show my kids Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to pass on, pass on this anxiety as if, as if it's like an infection or something. Right. right? But, but, but so how have you, how have you been navigating that and trying to. So I read, so I was like, okay, I've done therapy. I've talked Mm. one-on-one with a counselor and I'm really big on that. But I knew it was something deeper. I knew it was like a spiritual belief that I had to um, change mm. or wrap my head around. And so I started, I read this book, Heart Made Whole by Krista Black Gifford, where she talks about healing your heart, um, from trauma, from mm. unhealed pain and trauma. Um, and it was just like, it spoke to me and I was like, okay. Like she talked about the heart and like your heart is like three different parts of your heart. There's a guardian, there's, um, a functioning heart, and then there's mm. an emotional heart and how we all want them to live together and my guardian heart I realized was like forefront like and center overworked yeah your guardian was like 24 7 never getting a break so I I felt I was just so tired from that and um and I learned from reading the book and then she has this um master heart course and I so I did this online course of you know going deeper in your heart and into trauma 
And then I learned that um, her family, her mother was an MFT or is an MFT and has this healing center in Texas called Gold Monarch Healing Center. And my a uh, couple of my family members have been to them. My mom had went, um, my sister-in-law had went and just like loved it so much. It was like four days of just intensive therapy, but also just, um, you know, wonderful, like healing of the mind and the body and the Mm. soul. And so I was like, I don't care what it costs. I need to go. And, and so, and all, I mean, getting on a plane, I had, I had created fears around flying, which Mm. I had never feared before. I love traveling and I still love traveling. It was like, the act of getting on a plane and trusting someone else with my life on an airplane. Right, because mm-hmm. that there's both the control piece yeah. that gets activated there, but also the poss- you know, the possibility of loss. Loss. Yeah. Exactly. So it was like I had I had known when it like manifested into so many different other areas of my life, even not associated with my children, that I was like, this is something I have to get a hold of now. Right. Um and so I faced my fears. I like, you know, I never stopped like flying or, or doing things that I loved. I just did it white knuckling it. I like, right. So, so anxiety, <laughs> anxiety for you maybe doesn't sound like ever got in the way of like functioning. Like you were able right. to function and you were able to do yeah. things, but it took a lot of energy. I imagine, I so imagine you being energy. so exhausted after cause you were just sort of yeah. pushing through and like what you just said, like white knuckling it. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to this healing center and in my first session, um, it's it's the therapy they use is called heart sync, and it's very much about visualization. Mm. And so, I remember the therapist asking me, like, you know, to like imagine the safe place, and mine's always on the beach. And and she asked my guardian heart, like, what would it look like to be able to like pass that off like that burden of like garden garden mm. I'm saying it's wrong guarding my heart yeah and I literally visualize this like part of me just like collapsing and relaxing onto Ugh. the beach because I could finally let go of that and so spiritually for me it was like giving that over to God mm. and letting him be the guardian but mm. then in deeper sessions like I'd learned that I'd come up with this spiritual belief that um God was no longer good Mm. and that I was having to experience bad things so that I could help others because of my heart, because I'm a therapist, because I want to help others so badly. Wow. But yeah, I had told myself that. So one of those like underlying like beliefs that had developed through these experiences and with anxiety were I have to experience bad things in order to be able to help others. Right. In order, and and then I was just waiting for the next thing to happen. The next thing to happen, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in that, in those sessions, I had learned. Like, I mean, it helps so much to have a therapist point that out to you to right. say, "Wow, like that's what you thought," and like to have you have them say, "Well, that's not true," or "That's not mm. serving you." And right. I was able to then visualize getting rid of it, like like visually. Yeah throwing that thought away. Right. Um, because so yeah. often these are things that are, there. it's this internal script or underlying core belief or inner dialogue that's happening, right? But mm-hmm. we don't often put that out in the, like, like say those things to somebody yeah. else or put it out there so that it can be sort of looked at in a way that, um, that can say that's not, 
no, that's not, that's not yeah. true. That's not true. That's, that's just like, not true. That's not something yeah. that's not realistic. That's not the truth. That's not, um, that's not something that you, that has to be directing every decision you make. Yeah. You can, you yeah. Can free and it was from that, from that burden. <laughs> it was yeah. the director for sure. Um, and so then if you say like, well today, how do you manage it? I would say, um, I definitely feel like it's, um, sometimes a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go back to like what I know to be true and that I can't always trust my thoughts. Like mm-hmm. I can't always trust like the emotions and the thoughts that I have. Um, and then I go back to like, okay, um, that's not who I believe God to be. Mm-hmm. I don't believe God to be right. a God that would give me bad things so that I can help other people. And so that gives me so much hope and peace. And so for you, when you're looking for something else that can like that can ground you in an, in another belief, right? Yeah. In, in a, something that can sort of counteract these yeah. these negative thoughts. For you, that grounding thing has been your spirituality. Totally. And like that was like therapy for a long time was just me trying to like change my thinking. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to the spiritual part of it for me, it was like. No, you needed to change your beliefs. Mm. Then that can help you change your thinking. And yeah. so my core beliefs was what had to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in my work with clients, spirituality can absolutely show up as a huge, as a huge sort of like resource in, yeah. in some of these, these grounding things. And it doesn't always have to be. Sometimes yeah. for clients, it's, it's exploring what is anything that, like represents like deeper meaning systems right Mm -hmm. and for some that's spirituality for some it's um like personal values yeah um yeah or for yeah just anything that sort of is ground that can be grounding in like deeper meaning yeah you um so one thing that that i think well, isn't unique to motherhood because I think that there's discourses around anything, right? Around being a woman, around being a man, around being anything, right? There's discourses, but there are definitely discourses around motherhood, right? Yeah. And by discourses, I mean those like social messages that tell you what you should be doing and mm-hmm. how things should be. Mm-hmm. And from my experience, anxiety tends to love discourses and like use it to its advantage to kind of convince you that things should be a certain way or Mm -hmm. um, that you should be a certain way or have certain qualities. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you in your experiences with anxiety, what has been the impact on like social discourses around motherhood? Um, Probably that I am too busy or I'm too preoccupied or I'm trying to multitask too much and that's the reason why bad things are happening or that's the reason why you're scattered or you lost your child for those mm-hmm. moments or so it's like I have to be completely the best at this and only do motherhood in order to be the best at it but then I'm like that's not me like I want to also have um an outlet or have a career. And Mm. so I found a way to balance that. But then when anything bad happens, anxiety tells me, 
Well, that's the reason why, because mm. you're trying to do too much. And you should be just focused on motherhood, yeah. or you should be more yeah. present, yep. or all yeah. the time, and perfectly. Yep. No room for error. Yeah, and I can even remember a family member uh, had said, well, how did, like, I think we had thought, oh, yeah, it was the second time we'd lost Waylon at Disneyland. Gosh, this is like, I'm telling you, I birthed ninjas um, when he was... <laughs> I birthed ninjas. I birthed ninjas he, when he was three. So this, you know, the first big, huge trauma happened when he was almost two. And then when he was three, I was with my mom and my dad, my cousin and my husband, and we were all at Disneyland for his um, birthday. And Sam was pushing the stroller and I was looking down at my phone and all of a sudden I don't see his feet in the stroller. I pull back the shade and I don't see him and I'm like, where's Waylon? None of us adults saw him get out of the stroller and he popped out of the stroller when he saw a little toy store kiosk and he stopped there. But here am I, I'm 14 weeks pregnant and I'm running down Main Street or California Adventure <laughs> screaming his name like the, you know like crazy woman like that was back when I first lost him and um and the security guard comes out and says you know just let's calm down like my walkie-talkie works better than you like do you need a nurse and I'm like yes I need a nurse I'm pregnant I have anxiety (laughs) so and uh they side note Disney is amazing it's the best place to ever lose your child because they've never lost a child they say they only lose parents (laughs) Only only parents get lost. Yep. And um and there was a security guard that had already seen him, like little three year old by himself that thought, Oh, this is odd. So there was a security guard already standing by him and they were like, Yep, we found him, he's right here and so he was, you know, a few little like I don't want to say yards, but like he was, you know, down the street yeah. at this store, toy store and we had found him, but um, same thing, like pop back up, you know, all the same traumas. And then after that incident, a family member said, well, how does that happen twice? And they meant it funny. And I was like, to me, Oof. it oh. felt like a knife in the heart. Yep. Because those, yeah. those discs, like that's just feeding into those discs. Oh, totally. And it still to this day sometimes feeds it because it's like, well, how does that happen twice? And it's like, well, it happens twice because I'm a bad mom. Mm. Like, that's initially the answer, right? That's the funny thing. That's what they thought was funny. It was like, right. and to me, like it that was, would be the punchline. Yeah, that would be the punchline. But it's like, I, you know, go figure. How does that happen twice? I birthed ninjas. That's my answer. Like, mm. you know, no yeah. mother can be fully on all the time. Right. And not yeah. all children are built as yes. ninjas, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm think so. My son, he's a little ninja, but my daughter, my daughter, well, she, she, that's, she, she would never, she does not run off, right? Yeah. Because like of her own, her own anxieties uh, of like, you know, be so but, comforting. <laughs> you know, yeah. I need to support her in that, in that arena though too. But <laughs> yeah. You're like, we want her to lie a little bit. There's different yeah. struggles, yeah. but yeah, I mean, oh, so it's so hard yeah. because, you know, even something that's just meant to be a joke. Yeah that fed right into a discourse a discourse um which which is feeds right into some of those underlying negative core beliefs Uh uh-huh yeah yeah so we were talking a little bit about right so we've talked about like the vulnerability of motherhood and the discourses around motherhood but then you were also talking about how 
being a mom, right? You're, you become, you're so much more aware of your anxiety because you don't want your children to pick up on it or your children to worry about these things. And so motherhood can also sometimes serve as being protective in this way, in the sense that like we, 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 we see the the problems, right? Because we don't want our children to have those things. And so we're more, maybe more likely to recognize it in ourselves or want to do some work around it. Yeah. So what, what have you done around the piece of like, I have kids, my, I don't want my, I don't want my kids to like pick up on these things. I want, yeah. I don't want them to worry. Like, how are you caring for yourself in, in that, in that arena? Um, well, I feel like number one, I never let anxiety dictate my goals or my future. So mm. like, even if I have to live through something hard, like, um, going, leaving my kids for the weekend and trusting someone else with them. I'm going to do that because I'm going to, you know, Mm. relive, like relive through a good experience of like, my kids are fine and other people Mm. are trustworthy, like their grandparents and things like that. Um, so you're allowing, you're allowing things that are important to you, like your values, right. Inform your behavior and you entrust that, right. right? Instead of the emotions or instead of the anxiety. Exactly. Instead of the negative thinking. Mm. Um, another one is I tell myself the positive instead of the negative. When I think of like the worst thing happening, I then go to the place where I tell myself, that's not your story. Mm. Yeah. That's a phrase I told myself. That's not your story. I love that. Yeah. There's, it like frees you mm-hmm. from, from feeling like there's one, there's like one narrative that belongs, that like entraps you. Instead, you get to free yourself from that one narrative. Yep. Yeah. And I, and that's something that's been helping me in this next, this last pregnancy right now, since I'm pregnant. Um, and pregnancy usually isn't a fun thing for me because it's (laughs) like reliving, you know, um, the fear and, and I feel like every pregnant woman probably feels this way that there's absolutely no control of what's happening in your body. I would say though that when you mm-hmm. experience some sort of trauma around the pregnancy, there can like there it's possible that some people go through pregnancy without fear because they yeah. haven't experienced trauma, right? Um, or anxiety is not something that they live with. But with your you know if you experience some sort of trauma or loss, it takes away the like naive joy that can right. come. Yes. You know, naive joy. I <laughs> like, it's like I was in that for mm. before 29 weeks. Yeah. yeah. No, I, when I was pregnant with my first, I, I knew, you know, I knew that loss could happen. And so I was a little nervous, you know, in those, that first trimester, but then I really didn't have any anxiety that whole pregnancy. And then in my second pregnancy, we heard the heartbeat at nine weeks and then, um, at our 13 week appointment pulled up the monitor and I could tell something was wrong and yeah. the baby hadn't grown and there was no heartbeat and we lost that baby. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge trauma and a he- and something we were very unprepared for and that we, I went to individual therapy to get support on and we did couples counseling cause we were both, mm-hmm. you know, um, navigating it in different ways my partner and I but then the third pregnancy with my son 
it was like the minute that positive, like that pregnancy test turned positive, it was like handing me an anxiety disorder. Oh, <laughs> totally. It was like, yeah. Oh, you're here. Mm-hmm. This here, here's another pregnancy, mm-hmm. but we know how it went last time. And yeah. there was no, I didn't get to have that sort of naive the joy. joy. Yeah. It really, anxiety really yeah. sort of took over that pregnancy. Yeah. I totally know that feeling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, something that helps me in this pregnancy is just because I would do that. I would hear stories. Um, and then I would say, okay, I'm not safe until I get past this point because that Mm. person had this happen or that, Mm. you know, I heard of this happening. Um, and you could do that for the rest of your life. You could say that even when your child's born healthy, you could say until this happened, you know, until this age until, and I'm like, I don't want to go through life like that. And so, I do. I tell myself um, truths instead of mm. the lies that like my the brain things, says. The things that you know to be true. Yeah. And there, and the things that you know that you can't control, but also in some ways maybe letting go of the things that you know you can't, I can't. control. And that was one of them was just letting go that I can't keep every bad thing happening from me and my children. Bad things are going to happen. Um, but ultimately, I'm not going to die from them. Mm. Like that was something yeah. that I... I mean, believe it or not, is a comforting thought that I'm not going to lose myself. Mm. Um, and yeah. I think, I I think some sort of a little bit of where that maybe comes from when I sit with people and we're working on, because you it, you have a pretty good idea. Like you you've shared today what your sort of like underlying like negative core belief was, yeah. right? Because you've mm-hmm. done the work. But when I'm sitting with somebody who maybe doesn't know what that is, like the the thing in them that just keeps get, that keeps yeah. getting triggered. And leads to these certain behaviors or feelings or emotions. And they're just like, I don't even know where this is coming from. And if we're sitting and doing the work and trying to identify what the like underlying like, na- like narrative or underlying core belief is mm-hmm. for them. Oftentimes, when you, get, when you really push and you get down to it, there's an underlying core belief of I'm going to die or Mm -hmm. somebody I love. I'm going to lose somebody that I love. Or if I lose someone I love, I will then die. Then I will die. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's not surprising that like for you, that that's where, Mm -hmm. what would get triggered and where, where it would go. And I think it came from that first trauma, um, of losing Waylon thinking he was kidnapping. Cause I literally felt like I won't survive this. Right. It felt like death. Yeah. I don't know what death feels like, but to me that's in that moment that's the only thing I could describe it as. So yeah. it's a, a I have an interesting question, but mm-hmm. um if you were to go back, right? And if you could have control, mm-hmm. not that you not that we do, but if you could have control, would you go back and take and change those experiences or take yeah. them away so that you wouldn't have experienced them? Um, that's a really good question. And, um, I, I don't know how to answer it always because I know that as a mother, I would never want to experience that again. So I would probably always say, yes, I would go back and change it. But then as a, a human and someone with a soul that's grown from it, um, I would say that I've learned so much about myself and God, Mm. um, and my beliefs and the beauty of life, uh, like I appreciate my kids so much more, yeah. not every day, but like, 
oh gosh, like the love I have for them. It just has showed me that love is so strong Mm. and beautiful that I would never take that back. Mm. So I learned something recently. I was at a Rob Bell tour, um, called the Holy Shift Tour. And he talked about holy moments and holy things that happen to us in life that don't necessarily need answers to. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's probably my answer that it's like, I couldn't even answer it because it's something that's been holy in my life. Mm. And that, that was a new thought for me too, that like holiness doesn't, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's perfect and good. And it just means that you can't put words to it. Yeah. And I imagine that that was something you had to come to yourself in some ways. And, and maybe you'd have yeah. someone support you in coming to that. But I imagine if, like, right after the experience, someone said to you, this is a holy moment in your life, or <laughs> this is something yeah. that you're, 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 no. a, big lessons oh, have been learned. You would have yeah. so, that would have not, that would have not been what you needed. No. You would have not been open and accepting to that. No. So what I'm hearing you say is that there was, there was a lot of work. And oh yeah. That and processing yeah. and, and growth that, um, and that you didn't do alone. You did with support Yeah, to get to that place of yeah. being able to look back on those traumas and, and, yeah. and see that and, yeah. and so, honor that. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, when you mentioned that, it's like, that even makes me feel grateful, like for the work and for mm. the people that have been with me along the journey from the mother that was holding me, um, oh. at the church that I collapsed in her arms. Yes. Like she's a mother of five and mm. she kept saying, Chrissy, I've lost all my children before. And like, this mm. is okay. We're going to find him. And, but she, then when the horrible news came, she wept with me. Like yeah. she, like that was comforting. Mm. And I think about her in that moment as like a person in my life that was like, there for me and and her arms and it's almost like not even her like like, she was almost like a guardian i was gonna say that yeah like Mm. a guardian or like the arms of god like that Mm. was him in that moment or Mm. her in that moment and um i think about my mother and my father and i think about all the people that have like passed on things like books or um therapists or you know all of those journey like all the people along the journey that have helped me realize who I am through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a gift. Mm. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing this space with me and us today. I Mm. can only imagine other mothers or any human really hearing your story and being able to relate and connect. And I don't know, just your vulnerability offered a lot of gifts to me and to us today so thank you so much for letting me share it I feel like each time I get to share the story it's a little bit more healing for me so thank you so much you've been listening to holding space podcast I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode if you did you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air thank you so much for sharing this space with me have a great day